what image comes to your mind when you think of a Christian? When you think of a Christian, what is the mental image that comes to your mind? Do you think of a person who is powerful and strong? Or maybe you think of a person who is meek and mild. The Bible in general, and the Apostle Paul in particular, portrays the Christian in different ways. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, the Christian is portrayed as a soldier. That is to put on the full armor of God. But the Christian in that passage is more than just a soldier. The picture, the, the, the Christian is pictured as on his knees praying. That's an unusual combination. A soldier, instead of standing and fighting, the soldier is on his knees. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, Paul provides another portrait of a Christian. Uh, he pictures himself as a mother who tenderly cares for her children. He actually has the portrait of a nursing mother. But in that same passage, Paul says that he is a father. A father who exhorts, who encourages, and implores. It's almost like the father on the football field grabbing a hold of his son, exhorting him, encouraging him, and imploring him to be a good football player. So Paul said he wasn't just a father, but he's also a mother. He's not just a mother, but he's also a father. In our text, in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 through 14, Paul presents himself in a different way. And particularly, he presents the Corinthians and reminds them that they are to be tough and tender. That's an unlikely combination. Normally, when we think of someone who is tough, we don't think of them as tender. Or if we think they're tender, we don't think of them as tough. But in our passage, Paul says it's not either or. It's both and. A Christian is one who is tough, but at the same time is tender. And that's the message that we want to get across, particularly to the men. Christian men, God expects you to be tough, and God expects you to be tender. But in reality, he expects that of every Christian. Every child of God should be spiritually tough and spiritually tender. The Corinthian church was a messed up church. Uh, maybe we can relate to that. But the bottom line is that they were plagued by the three D's, divisions, depravities, and difficulties. 
And Paul addresses that all in this book that we call 1 Corinthians. And when he comes to the very end of the book, that is when he gives out a series of exhortations, a series of commands. Paul ends the book by commanding the Corinthians with five different commands. Paul likes to do that. Typically, when he writes a book to a church or to an individual, at the end of the book, there's a series of commands. The classic example is 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 22. Paul takes out his spiritual machine gun and fires out command after command after command. You're familiar with some of those commands. When Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Command after command after command. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it's a long list. But here, the list is rather short. It is only a list of five commands. And I want to say something about these commands before we get into our text. The commands are short, they're crisp, they're to the point. Paul, basically, this hits them with these sharp punches so that they will be impacted by the commands that he is giving. The commands are imperatives, not electives. At the Bible training school, uh, we offer electives along with core classes. And when it comes to electives, you can take them if you want. But the core classes, if you want to graduate, you have to take them. Well, when it comes to these five commands, they are imperatives. You must obey them. Now, you can't choose and say, well, maybe I'll do this one or do that one. No, failure to obey the commands is sin. Failure to obey any one of these five imperatives is sin. The five commands are for all believers. And you might think that's strange, but there's a statement that Paul makes in verse 13. He says, act like a man. And people have taken that to say, well, Paul is speaking to men. I'm suggesting that these five commands are for all Christians. It doesn't matter what your gender might be. It doesn't matter what your position in the church might be. All Christians are given these commands. And these commands are to be regularly practiced. This is not just something that you do today and you're finished with it. You're through with it. No, they are to be regularly practiced. And then when you look at the first four commands, the ones that are in verse 13, they have a military ring to them. It's as if Paul, the commanding officer, is standing before his soldiers before they go out to battle. And he says, I want to give you some marching orders. You're going out to battle. Here are your marching orders. And so the first Four commands have that military ring, and that's where the toughness of Christianity comes in. Then Paul changes his mood. 
In verse 14, he talks about tenderness. He says to these soldiers, not only are you to be tough, but when you go out into the world, you're to be tender. And so I want us, in light of that, to look at these commands that's called to be tough and tender. Your outline might help you a little bit that's in your bulletin, but if not, you don't have to look at it. I say some strange things that you might not catch, but the call to be tough and tender demands an eyes wide open watchfulness. The first command demands that your eyes are wide open with regards to being watchful. The the, the Christians here are exhorted, commanded, demanded to be watchful. Paul says to them at the beginning of verse 13, be on the alert. Be on the alert. Other translations put, put it as be watchful, keep watchful, be, what, be on the watch, be alert, stay alert, be on your guard. And the idea is that Paul wants them to be ready and attentive when it comes to living their Christian life. This command is not unique to the Corinthians. It's found in other places. And I just want to read some other verses. You don't have to turn there, but I just want you to understand that this idea of be on the alert is not unique to Paul writing to the Corinthians. Our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, when he gave his great prophetic message about what was going to happen to the, in the future, After talking about the fact of the second coming of Christ, Jesus said, and what I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Jesus says, I'm coming again. Make sure you're awake. Make sure you're alert. Make sure you're ready for my coming. And then a little bit later in Mark chapter 14, When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember how his soul became so heavy as he faced the reality of the cross that he was going to be denied by the Father. He's going to be rejected by the Father because of our sins being placed on him. And remember in that Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus entered with his disciples, his 12, well, at this time, 11 men. And he said to most of those men, you stay here. And then he took Peter, James, and John, his, his inner group, his boys, so to speak. And he says, come with me a little further. And then he told them, stay here and watch. And our Lord went a further distance and began to cry out to his father. And he came back and found the disciples, Peter, James, and John, sleeping. What does he say to them? He says, keep watching and praying. Wake up. Keep watching and praying. Why? That you may not come into temptation. You know why 
we experience many temptations. You, you know why we yield to temptation many times? It's because we're not alert. We're not watching. We're not praying. We're sleeping as we're living our Christian life. And Jesus says to these men, his inner group, who are going to represent him in the world, keep watching, keep praying. It's not that we can avoid temptation, but if you're alert, if you're praying, if you're awake, the likelihood of temptation is lessened. And then who can forget what Peter, he was one of those disciples who fell asleep. He was one of those disciples that Jesus says, keep watching and praying. And so when Peter writes his letter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, be sober. That's not a call to stay away from hard liquor and alcohol, even though that's a good call. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being spiritually sober. Some of us have never, ever drunk hard liquor or wine or anything at all. Haven't done that since we've become a Christian. But that doesn't mean we're sober. Because we're drinking the brew, the hard liquor of the world. We're sitting down at their bar and drinking up. And Peter said, be sober, be sober. And he follows that by saying, be on the alert. You know who can't be on the alert? People who are drunk. Drunk people, you no, know, they're just weaving and bobbing. Don't know what's going on. They, they, they get intoxicated. They throw up on, they're not alert to anything. Some of them get in their cars and they drive. They run into things because they're not alert. And so Paul, Peter is saying that the Christian is to be alert, to be sober. Why? What's the reason for this? He says, your adversary, the the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Peter is saying that the devil is real and, and that the devil roams about like a roaring lion. And what he's seeking is someone to devour. I don't think he cares about unsaved people. They're already on his side. He's seeking to devour Christians. And if you can't get the father or the mother, he wants the kids. But he's on the prowl. He's roaming about. And so Peter says, be sober, be watchful, be on the alert. You can't see Satan with your physical eye, but he's there. He's working. And so here is Paul coming to the end of his letter, and he says to the Corinthians, he gives them a broad command, be on the alert. Wake up. Be sensitive to the world in which you live, the dangers that you can encounter. It's like he's saying you're walking through the world. It's a minefield. It's full of explosives, explosive. And you can step on one and get hurt. So be watchful. Be on the alert. Stay awake. Look around yourself so that you 
do not fall into temptation and sin. So be alert of any person or anything that seeks to do damage to your Christian life, your walk with God. That means we can't have our heads buried in the sand as if nothing is going on around me. Some Christians live their life with their head buried in the sand, not aware of the dangers to their soul. This means that life is not bliss, that we just kind of float through and we just are enjoying everything that's going on as if nothing else is around us. We need to be on alert. We need to have our eyes wide open. And if we don't do that, if we don't obey the command, then devastation and disaster awaits us. It's like that woman who went into her laundry room And she found one bee flying around the ceiling of her laundry room. She ignored it. She came back a few days later, went into the laundry room, and there were two or three bees flying around. She ignored it. Then a few days later, all of a sudden, she heard a loud crashing sound in her laundry room. She rushed in. The laundry room was full of bees. Her ceiling had collapsed due to the weight of a beehive. She had ignored one particular bee, and that resulted in devastation. And my friends, that is what happens in our Christian life. As we're living our Christian life, we see something, we ignore it. And we keep going and we see it again. And it seems like more is attached to it and we ignore it. And then all of a sudden we, we collapse. There's devastation, there's tragedy in our walk with God. So Paul is saying to all of the Corinthians, be attentive, be alert, be aware. And my friends, the best way that you can do that is get your nose in the word of God. Read God's word with the goal of not just reading it, but obeying it. The word of God will expose you to the various things that you need to be alert to. But let me just simply say that the word of God will alert us to watching TV. Nothing wrong with watching TV. I got several TVs in my home. In the name of Vacation Bible School, one of my TVs got messed up. Tried to bring it from home to, uh, to church, and by the time it got here, it was all frazzled and rattled, and it's worthless right now. Nothing wrong with TV, but if you're a couch potato and you're watching TV, you can open yourself up. And as you watch TV, you got to be attentive. You got to be alert. You got to know yourself. 
You, you got to make sure that you understand that some of that stuff on TV is dangerous, can mess you up. Men, you, you need to be alert to watching TV. Husbands, you need to be alert to loving your wife like Christ loved the church. Not like you want to love her, but like Christ loving the church, having eyes only for her, having ears only for her. We need to be indiscriminate. We, we need to be alert to not paying attention to surfing the Internet. That can get us in trouble. Notice also the call to be tough and tender demands a hold one's ground steadfastness. I know that sounds strange, but Paul is saying hold your ground, Corinthians, and be steadfast. He says as part of that second command, Stand firm in the faith. The the phrase can be stand fast. Literally, it's just stand. Stand. One of the songs that I have in my car that's kind of old and still have a CD player. Uh, Don't have anything to replace it with, but I have a CD player. And one of the songs that I like to listen to is titled Stand. And John Key says, stand for holiness. Stand for righteousness. And he goes on. And then at the end, he simply says, you stand. You stand. That's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. You stand. And again, this is a command that's given other places. In Galatians 5.1, Paul says, you've been set Uh, Free for freedom. Stand in that freedom. In Philippians 4.1, Paul says, stand firm in the Lord. Be a rock of Gibraltar. Don't let anyone move you or shift you when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ. But here he says, stand, stand fast, stand firm. But he says, in the realm of the faith. And the faith could be our trust in God. And we should stand firm in our trust in God. We should have an unwavering commitment and loyalty to God. That we trust him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We heard about that a couple Sundays ago from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. So it's biblical to say, stand firm in trusting the Lord. But that's not what Paul is talking about. When he says the faith, he's talking about that body of truth that defines Christianity, that makes Christianity different than Mormonism, from Jehovah Witnesses, from Buddhists, etc. There's a body of truth that has been delivered to the church once for all. And Paul is saying, stand in the faith, stand in that core truth of biblical realities. Now that command presupposes that we have learned and know the biblical truth. 
this faith that defines our Christian faith. We have to learn it. We have to know it. But it doesn't stop there. There is to be an allegiance to this body of truth with regards to our head and also with regards to our heart. That is, intellectually, I am to know the Christian faith, the doctrines of the faith. I ought to be able to articulate the doctrine of the Trinity. I ought to be able to tell you what I believe about the Bible. That doesn't happen just because you get saved. That happens because you grow and study the word of God. And so Paul is saying to these Corinthians, you need to be loyal. You need to be faithful to that body of doctrine. That's with the head. The problem is that there are people who are loyal and pledge their allegiance to a doctrinal statement with their head, but not with their heart. That is, they don't live it. They don't practice it. Doctrine is to be practiced. What's in the head ought to get down into the heart so that we live it out through our hands. We are to be committed to orthodoxy, that is right belief, but also to orthopraxy, right behavior. The two should never, ever be separated. God doesn't do that, and neither should we. And so today, unfortunately, there are individuals who don't know doctrine, who think they can live the Christian life. That can't happen. And then there are other individuals who know doctrine and they don't live it. The, the circles that I have come through, the, the environments that I have been a part of, oh, they can dot every I, cross every T when it comes to their beliefs. But, but living out their beliefs, sometimes they fall short. Sometimes they don't understand what it means to love like God says love. They're not concerned for men and women, boys and girls like the Lord Jesus Christ is. And so Paul says to the Corinthian, stand firm in the faith. These Corinthians had heard the gospel preached to them. They had received it. They stood in it. They were being saved by it. That gospel included the fact that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and on the third day he arose from the dead, and that he appeared. That was a part of the Corinthians' faith. And Paul says, stand in that. Don't let anybody move you. Don't retreat. Don't back up. Don't cower away, but stand firm in the faith. This doesn't mean that we don't grow up and mature in our understanding of the faith. It just means that once we know what the Word of God is truly saying and teaching, we are firm and tenaciously hold to it. The call to be tough and tender also demands a big 
boy pants courageousness. That's why I say you better look at the outline because you not you might not follow what I'm saying. Big boy pants. Some of us men and ladies, we're familiar with that expression. Kobe Bryant, the late Kobe Bryant made it famous. Back in 2012, at the beginning of the Lakers basketball season, they had gotten off to an eight and nine, no, record. And Kobe was frustrated after the game. And he said to one of his teammates, put on your big boy pants. And what are you saying? Man up. Quit being a weakling. Quit being a little baby. Put on your big boy pants. And that's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. Put on your big boy pants when it comes to courageousness. He says, act like men. And now some translations will render that, show courage, be courageous, be brave, or be men. So which is it? Am I to act like a man, or am I to be courageous? There are many things that Paul is saying, act like men. I have a book at home that has a chapter entitled Lessons on Manhood based upon 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. In fact, yesterday I was invited to a men's breakfast and they asked me to speak on this passage. It was to men. The the understanding was that this verse is speaking to men. When Paul says act like men, it's the only time in all of the Bible he uses the term. And it is related to the term man. But I don't believe that Paul is talking about a male quality. And the reason why, remember, Paul is writing to Christian men and women. So so I hope you don't think that Paul is saying to women, act like men. Our world is willing to accept that. They don't have a problem with women acting like men and men acting like women. Paul is addressing all Christians. So he's not saying be a male, be a man. And in fact, when you look at this command and the next one, be strong, those two are often found together in the Old Testament. And so I take it that Paul is saying not be a man in distinction to a woman, but be mature in distinction to being a child. Be an adult. An adult who is courageous. An adult who is brave. That's what he's calling for. Paul is giving the imperative to conduct oneself in a courageous way. It's a call to not shrink back. It's a call to be courageous and brave. And we'll see more about that as we look at the next command. But in the Christian life, we are to be heroic. We are to be fearless. Uh, We are not to be cowards. We are not to be afraid to stand up to the dangers of this world, 
and shrink back as we're wimps. We ought to be courageous and willing to stand where God stands and willing to be on His side. Put on your big boy pants, men, and be courageous. Be courageous. Be courageous. But coupled with that is the last statement that Paul makes, our command he gives in verse 13. And it's the call to be tough and tender demands a six-pack abs strength. I'm almost tempted to say, show me your abs, men. But I don't want to be disappointed, and you don't want to be disappointed. But sometimes on Facebook, I see them. I see once in a while somebody in the gym lifting weights, talking about their abs, where Paul is talking about spiritual abs. He's talking about a six-pack related to your strength in the Lord. Uh, you, you can be a 98-pound strong man in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, be strong. Be strong. And this idea with the previous idea of act like a man or be courageous, when you take those two together, that's what you find in the Old Testament. Several times the Old Testament talks about be strong and courageous. And in particular, Joshua was told by Moses, while Moses was still alive, Joshua, God, uh, Moses said to Joshua, when you go into the promised land to lead the people into the promised land, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Moses said that to Joshua on two separate occasions. And then when Moses died, Joshua is reminded God didn't die. Moses, you have died. And so God speaks directly to Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, on three separate occasions, God says to Joshua, be strong, Joshua. Be courageous. Be strong and courageous. Joshua, you are to lead the people of God into possessing the land. There are enemies in the land. In fact, some of your forebears didn't want to go into the land because they saw giants. They were scared. They didn't realize that God was on their side. And so as they are preparing to go into the promised land to fight against the Hittites and all the other ites, God says, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Not once. He says again, be strong and be courageous. He says it a third time. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. And the implication is you get your strength from God. You get your strength from the Lord. That's why he says to Joshua, meditate on the word of God day and night so that you might be prosperous. The Corinthians were to increase in strength. They were to be strong. They can't strengthen themselves but must allow themselves to be strengthened by the Lord. 
They must rely upon the, the means that God has established for you and for me to become strong as Christian. Taking in the word, praying, worshiping, serving, etc. God uses all of those things to make us strong. To make us strong. And here, as Paul is coming to the last of the tough side of being a Christian, when he says be strong, he's saying don't be scared, Christians. Don't be afraid. Paul understands there are things out there that frighten us, that scare us. But, but man up. Be strong in the Lord. Have a six-pack abs type strength. And so I say to you fathers, be strong and courageous in communicating truth to your children, whether they're young or old. I know there's a tendency sometimes in fathers to just back away not say anything. We need to be strong, fathers. We need to be courageous and speak the truth and love to our children, to our young people, and to our grown children. Men, be strong and courageous as you stand up for the other sex. That is for girls and for women. We live in a society that has done a great, great, great disservice to women, to females. And the world is starting to catch that. And they're starting to bring about changes. But where are the Christian men? Where is the Christian church? When it comes to sex trafficking, where's the Christian church? Where is our ministry in that area? When it comes to women not getting equal pay at their jobs, do we stand up? Do we say something? When it comes to sports, Title IX gave a lot of privileges and benefits to females. Wonderful. But now, you look at sports and men mainly are allowing other, quote, men to run against women. My daughter ran in a race recently. Ran against a man. No ifs, ands, buts about it. I had more chess than that person did. No objection. Nobody's saying anything. We're just enjoying the sport. And so are we willing to be strong and courageous? Are we willing to stand up against evil and wickedness in our society, in our community, in our schools, etc. When you stand with God, it might cost you. But understand, it's better to stand with God 
and have God on your side than to fall and not have God by your side. When Joshua was told, go into the promised land, be strong and courageous, he was given a promise by God. That promise is reiterated in Hebrews 13, verses 5 through 6. The writer of Hebrews says, these words coming out of the mouth of God. God says, I will never desert you. I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? That's what it means to be strong and courageous and having the assurance that God will be on your side. And no matter what man does to you, you have the Lord as your helper. The last call to be tough and tender is in verse 14. And Paul flips the script. He's been talking about being tough as a Christian. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like a man. Be strong. But all of a sudden, you come to verse 14, and Paul says, let all that you do be done in love. Love? You've been giving me these military commands? You've been giving me marching orders? You've been picturing me as a, a, a soldier? You've been telling me to be tough? And Paul says, yeah, that's exactly what I've been telling you. But I'm also telling you to be tender. In fact, Paul says, whatever you do, whenever you do it, always do it in love. Every action of mine that I do, that I perform, I am to do it in love, biblical love seeking the best possible good for the individual. And I'm sure when the Corinthians heard that word love, they probably reflected immediately right back to 1 Corinthians 13. You remember that chapter, right? We call it the what chapter? The love chapter. Every wedding that you go to that's Christian in nature, they read the love chapter, even though that chapter was not written to do anything about weddings. But Paul, in that chapter, describes 15 perfections of love. And I would encourage you, read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Read what love is and what love does. And then read it again. And when you read it again, take out the word love that's used 15 times and put in the word God. And you're going to see what God is like. And once you've done that, read it a third time and take out the word love and insert the word Christ. And you'll find out what Christ is like. But, but read it one more time. And when you read it that fourth time, take out the word love and put in your name. And that's when it's going to be convicting. And that's when you're going to read that love that Paul is patient. And then that's going to stop me right there. I won't be able to go any further. Paul Felix is patient. You might think I'm patient, 
But Paul Felix knows himself. Paul is kind. Paul is not jealous. Paul does not brag. That's going to cut. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, be tender. Make sure everything that you do is in love. So the Bible presents us with these images of the Christian. The one that Paul presents here is that the Christian is tough and also tender. The Christian is tough because he or she is always on the alert, looking out, paying attention to anything or anyone that might cause him or her to struggle in their walk with God. The the, the Christian is one who's firm in the faith. They know biblical truth. They've taken the time to learn it, but also they take the time to live it. They're not just walking around with knowledge in their head, but that knowledge leads to godly living. The Christian is tough because he or she is strong and courageous, willing to stand with the God who emboldens and strengthens the child of God. But don't let the military language be all that you think about. Don't leave today so I'm going to be a tough Christian. Also understand you are to be a tender Christian. That every act that you do, you are to do in love. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for these five imperatives, not electives, that we are given. Help us, first of all, to experience a personal relationship with you by putting our faith and our trust in Christ as a result of repenting of our sins. And Father, as Christians, help us to be tough and help us to be tender. Help us to be the people that you want us to be in the world that you have placed us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.